Morning. How are we doing? Awesome. Man, that's good. Good day today, huh? Chiefs aren't even playing. Y'all are all fired up. That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, uh, thanks for being here again this morning. We're going to close out a series that we just uh, started about four weeks ago called Fundamentals. And really the entire premise for this series was developed because as many of you know, before I went into full-time ministry, I was a coach. And uh, as almost all coaches uh, do, we understand that you have to start with the fundamentals. You have to start with the basics. Doesn't matter what level you're at, on repeat, you have to over and over and over instill these foundational principles into your players for what you want them to accomplish uh, as they go forward. And you're constantly practicing the basics. And this is not just true in sports. This is true in every area of your life. You think about everything you do on a daily basis. There's a fundamental attached to that thing. Some of you are writing. You had to learn your alphabet, right, to write. Some of you all still write in cursive like it's the 1800s or something. I have no idea why you do that. But you had to learn the basics of cursive. Some of you balance your checkbook. You had to learn numbers. You had to learn how to count. You had to learn to add and subtract and math. You had to learn to crawl before you walk. You had to learn all kinds of different things in order to set yourself up for future success. You're always building on these principles, these foundational things that you started with. If you type, you had to learn the QWERTY keyboard. That's a fun word to say. You all want to say that just on three. One, two, three, QWERTY. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, it's just a good stress reliever for you there. Anyway, here's the problem that we have with developing these foundational principles and all of that. It's that we have a tendency to drift. The reason coaches, even at the professional level, practice fundamentals is because we all have a tendency to drift away from the things that made us successful to begin with. We get away from the good habits, we start drifting towards bad habits. We get sloppy. You notice this? It's, we never drift towards anything beneficial. We've never drifted towards exercise, right? Nobody's drifted towards eating healthy. Now, I've looked in the mirror sometimes and thought to myself, good Lord, somebody should really do something about that, but... <laughs> It's never led to six-pack abs, okay? I can tell you that for sure. Nobody has ever stumbled on budgeting their money. It was a conscious decision you made. You inherit 50 grand, you're not putting that in a savings account, right? I mean, you're going to buy the new Ford Raptor or something. I mean, that's, nobody's just stumbled in to, to budgeting and, and doing well with their money. And even if you did choose to diet, or exercise, or spend your money well. God bless you, but you didn't just happen on to that. On a daily basis, you made that decision in your mind until it came, became habitual. You have to keep reminding yourself to do those things. In other words, the reality is the current of life rarely pushes us in the right direction. I don't know if you've ever gone snorkeling before, but one of the things that people will tell you when you first start snorkeling is you have to constantly look up, constantly get your head out of the water because the undercurrent, the tow, will actually push you miles offshore if you're not aware of it, and then you've got to figure out how to swim back. You've got to constantly get a new perspective. The same thing's true in your spiritual life. 
Rarely will you ever drift towards godliness. You have to constantly look up. You have to constantly get this new perspective. Your faith has to be intentional and deliberate, and you have to spend time practicing the things that are important. So my goal over four weeks together was to show you some of these foundational principles that you need to build your faith on so that you can grow and become more mature and get a new perspective for your life because God has something amazing planned for you. He has a purpose and a goal for you. If you don't build on these foundational principles within Christianity, then you're going to miss out on the best life that you can possibly have. And so week one, we talked about how it's foundational, our faith, everything hinges on Jesus and the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that the fact that the tomb is empty, now we can build our life on that foundational principle. You have faith that Jesus said who that you believe that he is who he said he was and that he did what he said he would do, and that is rise from the dead and conquer sin and death, and that we need to follow him, and that if you're going to be a follower, as the Bible says, then you're also going to have to be a fisher. You're a follower and a fisher. You're a fisher of men. You've got to lead other people into this life-transforming news. And one of the ways that you can do that, week two we talked about, baptism and communion foundational to our faith. You need to understand what baptism and communion is. And so we talked about that. And then last week we talked about God's chief competition for your soul. And that's your time and your money. Rarely do anybody look to God to give them their sole source of security. All of us, myself included, like to look at our time and our money to be those things that help provide us security and stability in our life. And the Bible says we need to be looking to God for those things. He's in control. We need to be generous with our time and generous with our resources. And today we're going to address a massive topic just to kind of help frame it in. Let me point out something that should be fairly obvious to most of us because I already said it. And that is in every area of life that's beneficial to you, we're swimming upstream. Very rarely do you make immediate headway in life. Very rarely do those things you set out to do just happen the way you want them to. Now, we all know that guy or girl who, whatever they touch, it turns to gold, and we hate them for that. But for most of us, those things don't just happen. We have to work hard. We tug and we struggle and we scrape and we claw to get those things that we set out to do. For example, if you enjoy gardening, there's always some sort of bug destroying a plant or there's too much water in our case or there's not enough water or the soil gets rocky or hard. I mean, if you're a salesman, there's always another salesman who knows somebody that knows somebody and he swoops in and takes the account or there's some foreign kid making your product for like 25 cents and so you can't sell it for the same price you wanted to sell it. You can't land these accounts. If you're a parent, your kids are constantly warring against you and asking you crazy questions and no and why. And I mean, it's just absurd. And I mean, if you own a house, something's always breaking down. There's just always something. We're just constantly swimming upstream. Salmon. Y'all seen salmon swimming upstream before? I'm sure you've seen these nature shows and whatever, and they swim upstream for a very specific reason. But what's important for you to realize today is salmon 
the most successful salmon that swim upstream, get up there the fastest, they swim together. Because when you're swimming upstream, you're better together. Even if you didn't realize that about fish, you've seen geese flying in a V. Why? Because they're better together. Or you've seen that movie Mighty Ducks. Either one, it's the same thing. The whole V, I mean, it all, same principle. Uh, I don't know very much about auto racing because I've never kissed my cousin, but I'm totally kidding. Easy, right? Okay, I knew, I mean, I, I thought that might go over better than it did. But here's what I know about auto racing, okay? The draft is really good. Like, you, you want to draft on people. Why? Because you're better together. It's a foundational principle. And I don't know how much you've ever thought about this, but it's actually a very spiritual principle. This idea that we're better together as Christians. One of the fundamentals to our faith is we are better together. God never intended for you to do life by yourself. And I know some of you are going to want to push back against me and say, well, pastor, I'm just an introvert, or you're going to want to disagree because I'm just quiet, and I, I don't need friends the same way other people need friends. It's okay for me to be alone. But let me show you something in Scripture, okay? So if you brought a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews is going to be towards the back of your Bible. If you're new to the whole Bible thing, that's great. Glad you're here. Open up to the front of your Bible. There's going to be a table of contents. Page numbers will be there. Uh, it's uh, page 1002 in my Bible. That helps you guys out. I don't know why it would. But nonetheless, Hebrews is a really fascinating book because scholars can't really agree where it fits categorically within the Bible. Some people think it's a letter written to a specific church. Some people think it's a sermon meant to, to, to be delivered to all the Greek-speaking churches. Uh, the Bible called that the dispersion when they were all sent out from Jerusalem. So some people think it's a sermon meant for all of the churches. The reason we're not really sure if it's a letter, if it's a sermon, what it really is, is because we're not really sure who wrote it. Not, some people think it's Paul. Some people think it's Apollos. There's just a lot of uh, skepticism about who wrote it. But here's what I can tell you for certain. Nobody doubts that it was divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit and meant to be in your Bible. Amen. Somebody. Yes. Absolutely. God wanted this letter or sermon, whatever it is, in your Bible. It has huge implications for us today. So let's see what God has to say about this idea of being better together. Big number three, little number 12. It reads, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Your translation might say, Take care, brothers and sisters. Either way, the message is clear. You're supposed to be checking in on one another. See to it, brothers and sisters. If I was in the South, I'd say, y'all need to be seeing to about your mom and them, right? You guys been to Alabama before? Okay, nobody? All right. Well, that's how they say it down there. I just spent some time there at a conference. Anyway, why do we need to be seeing about one another? Because we have a tendency to drift. 
Notice what the author says. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, who in their right mind would turn away from the living God? All of us, because we have a tendency to drift. Pay attention, because this is huge. You have to see. This drift, this turn away from God, the Bible makes it clear that happens inside of you. It's inside your heart. The reason you have to understand that is because nobody will know that you're drifting unless they have access to your heart. They have to be close to you. They have to be in a relationship with you. This is why marriage is so hard, because they have ultimate access to you. They're constantly shining a light on those dark spaces that you've been able to keep a secret for the last 20 or 30 years. They can detect this drift, and nobody likes that. Nobody likes to have light shown on dark spaces. Let me say it this way. A drifting heart doesn't show when you're in a row at church, right? I can't detect a drifting heart all of the time. Sometimes maybe it's possible, but because your drift starts on the inside, in your heart, you can fake it on the outside, and none of us sitting around you for an hour on Sunday will have any idea that you're actually falling apart. Your body can be in church, and your soul can be somewhere far, far away from God. That's what the Bible is saying here in Hebrews. That's why the author also says that you need to be seeing about one another. He says how to do it in verse 13. He says, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Circle, star, underline, highlight, whatever you do in your Bible or there in your notes, that word encourage encourage one another daily. It's the Greek word parakaleo. Put it there in your notes. It means to appeal, exhort, urge strongly, beg, invite, entreat, appeal to. In our conversation today, it means detect a drifting heart. Be in relationship with somebody such that you can implore them to live their life for God. You could read that verse. Help keep each other accountable to God every day by detecting each other's drifting heart as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Again, how often are we to do that? Daily. As long as it's called today. In my Bible, that word's capitalized and in quotation marks. Your Bible, it might just be in quotation marks. Nonetheless, what that means is, the capital T, the quotations, it implies as long as we're struggling with drift or until you die, you need to encourage one another to not be deceived by sin. That's what today means. It means every day, all day, for as long as you're living. Why? So that you're not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Seeing the argument this author is laying out for us. What do we do? Check in on one another. Implore, beg, entreat, appeal, encourage. Why? Because we're not t- deceived. How often are we supposed to do that? Every single day. The author is pointing out the fact 
that sin is more than an action that you do or don't do. It's literally causing you to drift. That's the power of sin because it's the power pulling you away from the fundamentals. It's the thing trying to keep you away from your success and your purpose in life. Sin is the current that you're actively swimming against. That's why we can talk ourselves into doing some really stupid stuff, right? People constantly talk themselves into divorce. Well, I love you. I'm just not in love with you. Well, that's absurd. That's why people talk themselves into looking up their boyfriends or girlfriends on social media. Just want to find out what's going on in their life. Just want to check in on them. Sin is deceiving you. Sin deceives you into believing you deserve something that you don't deserve. Sin is deceiving you into taking another drink. Sin is deceiving you into believing that sex outside of marriage is going to make you happy. Sin is enticing you to look at that magazine or watch that movie or go to that website. Sin is deceiving you. You're talking yourself into doing things that are absurd. The Bible makes clear that's going to lead to your death. Sin is doing that. It's not always just the action you do or don't do. It's the force pulling you away from what God wants to lead you to. And the author of Hebrews here comes along and he says, Hey, the best defense we have for this, for this drift, for this deceitfulness of sin, is all of us. We is the defense for the sin that's happening in your heart. Have you ever stopped to think about what you're actually thinking about? The voice in your head tells you some really ridiculous and dumb stuff, right? Am I alone on this? Feels awful lonely up here all of a sudden. Like I started talking about voices in my head, and y'all are just like, oh, "No, you're you're the only one, Pastor." Well, this is who you hired, so you get it, right? I mean, even while I'm up here preaching, there's voices talking about. Uh, they don't think your jokes are funny. You look, you look absurd in that shirt, right? I mean, that dude's sleeping. Nobody's actually sleeping. I'm just saying, but right. I mean, she thinks you're inappropriate whatever it is. You'd think preaching, that voice would shut off of all the times that you don't want to be being pulled away. You'd think that would be the time, but nonetheless, this voice just runs in your head. What's the voice telling you? You're pasty. You're ugly. You're not good enough. That voice in your head will tell you some deceitful and deceptive things. And if I could somehow rig up some device and attach it to your brain stem and it would like project out your eyes onto this screen, the thoughts that you were thinking, none of you would show up. And I'm not even talking like the week's worth of thoughts that you've had. I'm saying just in worship this morning, you all were thinking some crazy things that if I could put on the screen, you would be completely embarrassed by and leave. I guarantee it. So let me just ask you this question. What are some of the things that you're thinking about? What are some of the things that you're telling yourself? How are you deceiving yourself? Well, I don't know if I want blank anymore. Well, I'm kind of tired of blank. 
I should probably have blank. I don't know if I believe blank. I don't have time to blank. I don't really like studying blank. When you're all alone, what is it you're telling yourself? That if you told someone else, they would think you've literally lost your mind. Because listen, the Bible just made it clear that you need to have somebody in your life that you can tell those things to. Because the drift happens from within. Seeing you as crazy might actually keep you from doing something crazy. The best defense we have is all of us. That's the power of community. Here's how I want you to write it down in your notes. The drift begins within, so you have to let somebody in. The drift, it begins within you. So you've got to have somebody in your life that can help you, steer you away, check in on you, implore you, beg you, entreat you, encourage you. Look at this, James 1.13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But... Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Here again, the Bible makes it clear that temptation is what happens in you. The drift happens within you. What your enemy, the devil, wants to do, because he knows this, is he wants to isolate you from your help. He understands that Nobody can really see what's happening in you. And so if you don't have anybody that has access to you, then you're going to stumble and fall and drift away. And what Hebrews talks about, turn away from the living God. That's what the devil wants to do. He needs to get you by yourself so he can accuse you. The Bible says he's your accuser. He wants to cause shame in you. He wants you to start believing that this is who you are. These aren't mistakes that you made. This is who you are. He's your accuser. But then the Bible makes it clear that the Holy Spirit's our advocate. The advocate doesn't say this is who you are. He says this is what I came to do. And together, we're going to beat this. As long as you get people in your life who have access to you that can help keep you accountable. The devil knows you are by far your own worst enemy. Nobody's wronged you more than you've wronged you. And trust me, I know there's some deep, hurtful things that have been done to some of you in this room. Didn't take me long within pastoral ministry to start hearing stories of abuse and neglect and rape and incest. So I completely understand that there's been a lot of hurtful things done in people's lives. But nonetheless, the decisions that you make, the voices in your mind, they're not leading you towards godly things. They want to pull you away from as much help as you can get. This summer, uh, we were trying to teach my son how to kneeboard. My parents have a boat, and as often as we can, we like to get out on the lake and and ski, and tube, and do all those fun things. And Leighton's finally getting to the age where he's able to do some of these water sport things. And as a parent, that's really cool because, I mean, I can be a part of that, and it's just a fun thing that we can experience together. And so we were at vacation in Stockton Lake, and we were trying to get Leighton 
to get on a kneeboard and get pulled and all that. But he's a little skittish because of his age and everything. And so in my mind, I thought, you know, it's a weekday. The lake's basically empty. It feels like we're the only boat out here. I'll just hop in the water, hold up the kneeboard until the boat can pull him away and they can tool around for a while. He'll have a blast. They can come back and pick me up. We've got no problem being in the water. We frequently stop and anchor and jump and swim and all those things. And so, I, you know, it's not a big deal to get in the water. Now, so jump in, get him going, watch the boat pull away. He's excited. He's kneeboarding. But how many of y'all know in that moment I start thinking to myself, I have no idea what's in this water. <laughs> Might be a gator in here. Start thinking something like, like what just touched my arm? Oh. You know, like it's the life jacket, like the cord, and you're like, oh, snap. Whew. You're like, dodged a bullet there. Like, he can't see my feet. I'd be a gator under here, you know. Like I, you saw all these crazy things start going through your mind when you're out there in the middle of a lake all by yourself. How often in your life are you in a lake all by yourself thinking these crazy random thoughts that really have no logical explanation. But the devil wants you by yourself so he can start convicting you of things that are nowhere near the truth. God speaks truth in your life. The devil is the father of lies, which is why you have to let someone in. Temptation is much easier to resist when you have people supporting you. That's why every 12-step program requires you to have a person to help you, sponsor. Why? Because we're better together. Because drift happens from within. And so you have to let someone in. Make no mistake, the devil, your enemy, he knows this. And so he doesn't ever start with really big sins. He starts with those little things that nobody's ever going to notice that'll cause you to start compromising some of your values, cause this little bit of a drift that nobody can really see right away until all of a sudden, boom, he's got you. And now you're making decisions that you thought, how in the world did I get to this place? I would have never made this decision before, but it started with all the little ones before. And you drift, and you get alone, and you drift, and then all of a sudden, he's got you. Look what happens in verse 15 of James, right after this. It says, then, after this temptation within you has occurred, then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That's where these decisions will lead you. Death. Here's how I wrote it down in my notes. One thing has the potential to undermine everything. One small decision back here has the potential to start escalating and escalating and escalating until it undermines everything. And the Bible says that is what leads to death. So you don't have to, you don't intend to ever abandon the whole thing, but all these little decisions cause you to end up abandoning the whole thing. True story. 67-year-old woman from Belgium, her name is Sabine Moreau, left, uh, read her story online this week. She left her house to pick up at a friend at a train station in Brussels, and like most of us would do, she programmed 
the train station into her GPS. Sabine knew that in years past, this trip was about 90 miles. Well, poor Sabine, this 90-mile trip finally ended when she got to the train station in Croatia, 900 miles away. In the story, Sabine admits that her own bemusement was to blame for her long trans-European trek. She said, I was absent-minded, so I kept on putting my foot down. Despite the fact, all the hints revealing to her that she was not going the right way, the time it took, the changing languages on signs, the mileage, the need for gas, she ignored all of those and ended up 810 miles away from where she was supposed to. Instead of listening to all the voices and things around her, Sabine compromised her time, her money, her common sense in order to follow wrong turn-by-turn directions. One thing has a potential to undermine everything. What voice are you listening to? Because the voice you choose to listen to will determine the future you experience. That's really good. I'm going to say that again because nobody's like, ooh, that's good, Pastor. <laughs> the voice you're listening to will determine the future you experience. If you're listening to the wrong voice, you're going to end up in the wrong destination. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And you have to be listening to Him, not the deceiver not the accuser, not the father of lies, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. If you believe the devil, then he'll tell you you need to be alone. Oh, you're just an introvert. Oh, you went to homeschool. That's fine. You can be by yourself. You're used to it, right? And you just don't need other people the same way other people need people. That sometimes people will just hurt you, better not get close to anybody. Those are all lies from the devil. They're going to cause you to drift. I'm going to say this too. If you're the most mature person in your circle, then your circle's too small. You need to have people in your life that are more mature than you, smarter than you, and more godly than you, that are pushing you to experience God in a more powerful way. And really the reason that most of us have such a small circle is because all of us long for approval. We guise it under the fact that, oh, I just want to be accepted. These people accept me. No, 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 that's not true. Because everyone will accept, every Christian should accept you. We just don't approve of all the behavior that you're doing. There's a big difference. But all of us long for approval. And so instead of listening to, hey, here's where that decision's going to lead, hey, here's what's going to happen if you decide to do that, Hey, here's where all this is going to go, and that's to death. Instead of listening to that, we decide to listen to the people that say, oh, no, that's fun. Oh, that's, yeah, if that makes you happy, trust your feelings. Just you be you. Go do you. You're fine. Hey, whatever it takes. Those are the voices that we decide to listen to because we want to be approved of. The Bible makes it clear. There are some things in life that you can't and shouldn't do because it's ultimately going to lead 
to your death. Have you ever watched a friend or a loved one make a stupid decision and you thought to yourself, well, if they just would have listened to me, it wouldn't have ended up this way. And they say, well, I never saw that coming. I tried telling you. There's somebody in your life that sees those blind spots for you. And they want to help you. At the end of the day, it's just a matter of whether or not they have access to you. And who gets to decide that? You do. You have to choose to let people in to your life that can help you and lead you and point you back to God. Because the natural bent of life is not in that direction. It's in the opposite direction. That's why we want every person in a circle, because life happens in circles, not rows. This hour on Sunday, as much as I hope it's encouraging and uplifting for you, your life is not going to be permanently changed in a row. It's going to get changed in a circle, serving on a team, being in a small group. That's why the leadership here at New Anthem, we track those two things. Every single month when we get together, we print out a list. Who's coming to New Anthem? Who's serving on a team? Who's in a small group? Because we know that by you getting in a circle, that's how you're going to mature in your faith. And that's really what God wants for you to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. It's our goal for you. That's God's goal for you. It's not going to happen for an hour on Sunday. You can fake this. You can come in here and pretend all you want. But when you're doing life with somebody repeatedly on a day-to-day, week-by-week basis, and they get to see you when you're at your worst That's how you're going to mature. That's how you're going to become a better human being. You can come in here and sing the songs, maybe even raise your hands at the right times, clap a little bit, help me out when I'm preaching, say amen, do whatever. But when you're living life with somebody and they're seeing you, you can't always fake that. Some point they're going to get in deep and in tight and they're going to start asking you about some of those things. I can't get in here on a Sunday morning and say, how's your marriage? How's your parenting? How's your job? Don't give me some fake answer. Tell me, tell me for real. Can't do that every single week. I wish I could because I care about all of you and I want to see you going in the right direction. But I can't do that. You know who can do that? The leader of your small group. The leader of the team that you serve on because you're in here for a couple hours serving with them. They get to see you because you're doing life together in a small group. They get to know how your marriage is looking. They get to see how your parenting is done. They get to understand the stresses of your life. Life happens in circles, not rows. You were created to be in a relationship with God. Very beginning of Genesis Adam's created. No sin in the world. Perfect harmony with God. 
God looks down and says, it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. So he creates woman. Same thing is true right now. It's not good for you to live life alone. You're better together. Make no mistake. This is God's plan for your life. Because one thing has the potential to ruin everything. You've got to get people in your life that can point out those things that you're otherwise blind to. And because drift happens from within, you have to let somebody in. Let's pray. God, thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for seeing to it that we were given these words from Scripture to help us. God, I know that there's a lot of people in this room doing life alone, struggling with decisions, they're struggling with marriage, they're struggling with addiction, they're struggling, struggling to let people in to help them. God, I just pray that you shine a light into that area. Give them an opportunity to get into a small group or serving on a team, not because we need something, but because we want something for them. We want them to be followers of you. And as we continue to pray, if you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior. You've never followed him, put your faith in him. The Bible makes it clear that all you have to do is trust and believe. So I want to give you an opportunity right now to put your trust in Jesus. Confess your sins and you will be saved, the Bible says. So just pray this prayer along with me. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've sinned. I'm sorry I've fallen away. I'm sorry I've drifted. But I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died on a cross, but He rose from the dead. He beat sin. He beat death. And because of that, I'm new. Thank you for saving me. Help me live this life for you. God, I thank you for that new life. I thank you for all the lives represented here this morning. God, we want to grow in you. We want to be in relationship with you, and we want to be in relationship with one another. Help us do that in Jesus' name. Amen.